Lots of ground. Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 19, and we're just going to read three verses. So we're going to look at Matthew 19, 20, and 21, and we're going to talk about these three verses of Scripture here this morning. If you have your Bibles, please join me. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. It says, uh, Jesus speaking, of course, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There your heart will be also. Lots of important things. Like I said, there are just times, this was one of those weeks I was trying to come up. What's a fancy way we can just communicate all the, and God's like, no, we're not doing fancy, okay? Just, we're going to go verse by verse. So three verses, let's talk about them together. Let's start with verse 19. This is what verse 19 says. Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, what does that mean? And, and, and we need to talk about what that means because the truth is this one verse of Scripture has been misunderstood and taken out of context and misapplied uh, by hundreds and thousands of people throughout the years. And Thomas gave me one of those looks. Really? Yeah, it has. It has. In fact, so I, I want to start by telling you what this passage doesn't mean. Okay? And, and, and so let's start with this. There's a few things. Number one, when, when, when he talks about not storing up treasures in heaven, Jesus is not talking about, this is not a ban on, on, on private property. Now, there's a group of people, believe it or not, throughout history, a group of Christians that actually believe this. They, they turn to this passage and they go to the early church in Acts and they say, see, they, they sold all their possessions and they, they gave to any that were in need. And, and so no Christian is ever supposed to have private property, almost that all believers should sell everything that they have. We should live in some kind of Christian communal society and, and just, just give all our money away and all our possessions. I say, isn't that the biblical model? And, and, and here's the deal, guys. I want you to understand there is no place in Scripture in which God bans private property. It's just not in there. It's not in there. Okay? So when you look at the early church, that was never a commandment that the early church come and sell all their possessions. There was, uh, there was, there was, great, um, uh, there was a great time of poverty going on in Jerusalem, by the way. And so that's actually why they, they, they did that. They all came together. Now, now, hear me. They are praised for their actions. And, and as we talked about last week, Christians are called to be generous givers. We've been given to generously. So we should always have in mind other people. But that's not to say that we can't ever have any property or possess anything on our own. That's not what it's saying at all. And so I just want you to kind of know that uh, b- before we get started. And you remember last week, we kind of gave you the guideline when we talked about fasting, right? Um, we, we are supposed to always keep others in mind. And so when we talked about fasting, we said one of the real types of fasting is when we fast from something in our own lives in order to bless someone else, right? And we said, maybe as you pray about fasting, God shows you that you eat out a good little amount. And maybe your family needs to fast from one meal out a month so that you can take that money. And remember, for $33 a month, you can keep an orphan fed and clothed and and in school, and they're going to teach them about Jesus. That's a dollar and three cents a day, remember? So, So it's not to say that we shouldn't be doing those things because we always should be, but it is to say Jesus isn't banning, uh, he, he's not banning a possession of private property. That's not what it's a bit. Now, now some people would, would then add to that, well, but what about the rich young ruler, pastor? I mean, that guy came to Jesus and Jesus said, go sell all your possessions, see? See, I told you, you're not supposed to have private property. Well, here's the deal. Jesus did say that to that guy, but why did he say it? Because he was the rich young ruler. Because, because money was his master. Possessions were his God. And Jesus, as he's about to teach us, is you can only have one master. You can only have one God. 
Okay, you can only serve one God. And, and so we've got to take scripture in context. So number one, this is not a ban on private property. Number two, when, when you hear about not storing up uh, your, your, your treasure here on earth, uh, Jesus is not saying that you can't have any savings. That's not what he's saying. Again, there's some people that would say, well, we've got to live by faith and not by sight. And we've got to just trust in the hand of God. And we should, we, that means we don't have to worry about saving. We don't have to worry about budgeting. We don't have to worry about finances. I, I'm just going to take the cloak that I have. I'm going to take the sandals on my feet, right? And they're going to take that approach. Now, here's the only problem with that. If you do that, again, you're taking some things out of context. You're taking one verse and building a whole theology on it when the Bible clearly uh, does talk about savings at times. And I'll just share with you a few passages. Proverbs chapter 6, if you want to write it down, you don't have to turn there. Proverbs 6, 6 through 8, uh, it says, Go tell the ant, you sluggard. Uh, go to the ant, you sluggard, and consider its ways. He's saying, go, go look at an ant for a second. Consider its ways and be wise. So, so it's proclaiming that the ant has wisdom that a sluggard or, or, or a lazy person doesn't have. Uh, he, he goes on, he says, it has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in the summer and it gathers its food at harvest. What's it saying about the ant? Why is the ant to be commended? Because the ant saves up for times that they have need, right? That's part of what they do. First Timothy 5.8 says that the person that makes no provision for his family, get this, is worse off than an unbeliever. So, so the Bible would teach us that it's okay to, to save. So this isn't just saying you can never save for a rainy day. It's not saying you, you shouldn't be prepared for things in life. Clearly we should be, right? We should be or else we'll find ourselves indebted uh, to somebody we shouldn't be indebted to, Okay. So, so it's not saying that. It's talking about living wisely. Number three, it's also not saying, we talk about uh, treasures here on earth, it's not saying that we should never enjoy the good things that God has given us. Now, there are many people um, that have uh, tender hearts, and, and I, I at times have a tender heart, but at times I'm like, whatever. I, I, don't, I don't have a lot of mercy or compassion, okay? I've told you that before. But there's some people, they'll hear a passage like this, and they'll hear some kind of teaching on this, or, or they'll, they'll read a book, you know, they'll read Crazy Love, which is a great book, and we should be doing those things. But all of a sudden, then they'll go home, and they'll look at their house, and they'll look at the things that they have, and they'll start to curse all the blessings that God has given them. No, they'll start to forsake all that God has given. Well, oh my gosh, look at all that this. I'm just this and that. And they'll start to just forsake all these blessings. And, and, and listen, there's danger there too. And here's the reason why. is because the Bible says that, that God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. That's what the Bible says. 1 Timothy 4, 4 says that everything that God created is good. Get this. And nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. So I would submit to you that maybe the problem isn't the stuff you have, but maybe the problem is the fact that you're not grateful for the stuff you have. Right? So we, we've got to think about that in context. I'm not saying that you have to curse. This passage isn't teaching you have to curse all the blessings in your life. It is true that you don't deserve them, but they have been given to you graciously by your Heavenly Father, and so you should be able to receive those with thankfulness okay so it's not saying those things so what does it mean then when jesus says don't store up treasures in heaven what is he talking about what what does that mean well i'll I'll tell you what he's doing number one jesus is condemning the sin of coveting jesus is condemning the sin of coveting and here's the heart of the of the matter he's basically saying and you find this when you read this in context read this all the way down through uh 632 33 34 what you find out in context is the heart of it is he's saying don't spend your life seeking out things that you don't have. 
Don't spend your life seeking out things that, that you don't have. All, all this is, is going to cultivate at the end of the chapter. He's saying don't do that. Why? Because friends, that's a wasted life. If you spend your entire life pursuing after things that you don't have, that's what it means to store up treasures here on earth. It means that you spend your whole life chasing after the stuff that you don't have. Jesus says, listen, in the end, that's a completely wasted life. And read the end of the chapter. It says that people run after all these things their entire life. Okay? But he says, your heavenly father knows what you need. OK, and so, so, so the point is, instead of seeking out God, who is the giver of every good and perfect gift, they're seeking out all the stuff. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. Don't 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 covet. Don't run after all of the stuff. Instead, run after God. All right. So that's that's what it's teaching. Number two, it's, it's teaching us that we should never be consumed with possessions to the point that we lack compassion for the hurting and for the poor. We should never be consumed with possessions to the point that we start to lack compassion for the hurting and the poor. Don't store up treasures here on earth. It's not just condemning coveting. It's also condemning selfishness. Let me ask you a question this morning. How much is enough? See, that's, that, this is the question that every Christian must grapple with right here. How much is enough? How much is enough for us? How much is, is too much? That's the underlying question behind the verse. How much is enough? If you don't have a heart for the hurting, friend, if you can drive past somebody in need, if you can hear about a hurt and it doesn't affect you, I'm going to submit to you that maybe you have too much. How much is enough? It's not that it's not okay. I, I heard this story the other day. I think it was Wesley. Uh, I, I could be totally throwing this out of perspective, but I think it was Wesley. Had a great painting on his wall, and he said, there's nothing wrong with this painting that I have hanging on my wall. It's okay. But if somebody comes to my door, and they don't have any food, and I'm not willing to part with a painting so that they might have something to eat, then I've missed the point. It's okay that we have stuff in our life. It's not okay that when we see a need, we don't do everything in our power to meet the need. Do you follow me? That's, that, that's the whole point. God has given to us graciously, so we give to others graciously. When we see a need, we meet the need. That's who we're called to be as, as followers of Jesus. And, and that's kind of the point of the whole matter. And so I ask you, friend, how much is enough? Are you stingy with what God has given you? I told you about my bananas a few weeks ago. You remember? Travis came over. We're working out. And, and I was on a diet at the time. Okay, this was last summer. And I was dieting. And on this diet, I could eat as much fruit and vegetables as I wanted. They were like the only things that didn't count against my diet. And uh, so I'd eaten all my stuff and all I had left was fruit and we go running, we're running. And it was great. And I lost a lot of weight and it was fine. We come back from the run and, and Travis is like, hey man, can I have a banana? And now my wife had already told me, we're not going back to the store. We've been eating fruit like crazy. That is all the fruit for the, for the rest of the week. And I only had like, like two left. And it was like Tuesday. And I said, no. I said, no, you cannot. So he comes over the next day. He said, you know your husband would not give me a banana? She hit me lightly. I mean, not really. You know, just, Jason, I can't, I can't believe you. And, uh, and he just opened my, you know, we, we can be that way. We can be so stingy, even with the little stuff, you know. And, and I, I, it, since then, I've fed him many times to make up for it. But I'm just saying, uh, how much is enough? Okay, n- number, number three, this is what this passage is doing. This is what it is teaching us. It's condemning a heart 
that's focused on pleasing self rather than pleasing God. So that's what that means when we're talking about don't, don't do this, don't store up treasures here on earth. It's condemning a heart that's focused on pleasing self rather than, than, than God. It's condemning us from living a life that is all about us. That's what it's doing. It's condemning us from living a life that's all about us. What, that's what it means to store up treasures here on earth. It means to live solely for your pleasure and solely for your gain. That's what it means to, to, to live a life here on earth where we're storing up treasures here on earth. And it means you give yourself entirely to the pursuit of pleasing yourself. Okay? That's what it's talking about. Now, what can we draw from that? What's a, what's a good principle here that we learn from the very first verse then? All right, here it is. I want you to write this down. Earthly treasure is temporary. Start there. You say, how do you know it's temporary? Well, read the passage. Don't do it because this is what happens. It, it's destroyed. It can be taken, right? So it's temporary. So just don't, don't live for the temporary, okay? It says earthly treasure is temporary. It's corruptible, okay? You think about how her, hard you work and how you pursue things. And it's talking about moths here and, 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 and what they can do and, and how they can just absolutely, utterly destroy things. Um, and, and it's insecure. It can be stolen. It can be taken from you in a moment. In a moment, we're reminded how fragile life can be, okay? And so, so we, we begin there. We begin there. That's, that's the first verse, verse 19. Verse 20. Verse 20. But, Jesus says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. So now what does that mean? What is he talking about when he says, okay, but now store up for yourselves treasures in heaven? Well, I'll tell you what he doesn't mean. Uh, he doesn't mean what the early medieval Catholic Church taught, okay? And here, here's what they taught. They thought uh, that uh, this verse meant that there was a merit-based treasury system. It says, I'm not lying to you. You can go back. This is actually what they taught. There was a merit-based treasury system that basically you could accumulate by good deeds some form of heavenly credit on which you could draw from. Shocking, isn't it? But this is taught. It was taught from almost every Catholic pulpit known to man in the medieval times. And here's the problem. Some of that, and again, this is medieval. This is, I mean, I mean, this was a time, a dark time in the church. It wasn't a great time in the church. But unfortunately, some of that theology has still trickled down to today. And not just in the Catholic church, into every church. Where we have Christians that honestly think that God is a God that keeps some kind of scale, right? And somehow there's a weight and a measure as, as to does their good outweigh their bad on this divine scale. I, I told you guys when we were in Laredo over spring break and we were sharing Christ with people, I would share Christ with some people and they would say, you know, I'd say, listen, do you, do you think you're going to go to heaven? And they say, well, I don't know. It depends on whether or not I've been good enough. Do you, do you see it? That's this divine merit-based treasury system. They're saying, well, I, I don't know. It depends if my good uh, in God's eyes has outweighed my bad. No, friend, that's not how you get into heaven. You can't get into heaven by being good. You have to be perfect. That's God's standard. And Jesus is the only one that's perfect. That's why he says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except by me because I'm the only one that's perfect. Right. And so when we have this kind of system, when we think that storing up treasures is about some divine merit based system. OK, we make the grace of God into a sham and we disgrace the cross of Christ. So it can't mean that it can't mean that. 
So what does Jesus mean when he says store up treasures in heaven? Now, that gets a little difficult. And I'm going to be honest with you because Jesus never explains what the treasures are. Now, here's the deal. In the Bible, God has given us everything that we need to know. And anything that he's left out, he's left out on purpose, right? And so what do we do? Well, we start to look for contextual clues and we start to study scripture. And, and I'm going to tell you, um, I'm not going to use the word guesses, but, but this is as we study scripture, this is what we see in reference to, to, to everlasting things that we can work towards, okay? Here's the things that don't fade away. Number one, Christian character. Christian character. When we're talking about storing up treasures in heaven. Uh, we talk about Christian character, being being like Christ. Friends, that is the, the point of, of being here right now. You should be in a transformational process in which you are becoming more and more like Christ every day of your life. If that's not happening, something's broken in your Christian walk. Okay? If you don't look more like Jesus today than the day that you were saved, you need to get on your knees and go before the Lord and say, God, what am I doing wrong? All right? Okay? It, it, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. It's called sanctification. It means you're becoming more and more like Christ every single day. Talking about Christian character. I like the way that John Stott put it. And I'm going to summarize it to you because it's just easier. He basically says, listen, you are all that you get to take to heaven. You are all that you get to take to heaven. So the point of this life is, is preparation for the next. That's what it is. We're becoming more and more like Jesus. And, and when we're talking about seeking earthly treasure or seeking heavenly treasure, Stott says, listen, you're the only thing you get to take. You don't get to take your possessions and, and, and you don't get to take your clothes and you don't get to take your body. And you don't, you know, I mean, you're going to get a new resurrection body. Hallelujah. I mean, it's going to be awesome, right? And, and, and so, so what you get to take to heaven is you. What you get to take to heaven is your character and your Christ-likeness. I thought about it this week. I said, oh, Lord, I get it, man. I want to be ready. I don't know about you. I don't want to have to go to remedial heaven, you know? Right? You know what I'm talking about? Like, you get to heaven and, like, you've got to go through, like, the welcome class, the one-on-one, one-on-one. Now, listen, this is heaven. God is here. Here we worship. Things are glory. Like, I don't want to have to be in that class. I want to know those things. I want to be prepared. I don't, I don't want to walk in like I don't know how to worship. God, I'm so sorry. I spent my whole life not learning about you, not understanding how to worship you. I, I want to get there and be like, woo! Yeah! I'm ready. I'm here. Let's do this. Only thing you get to take is you. Okay? So when we talk about storing up treasures in heaven, we're talking about Christian character being Christ like number two. We're talking about Love and kindness for others. Love and kindness for others. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is going to talk about judgment, right? You remember the story? And he's going to, there's going to be a great separation. He's going to separate the sheep and the goats. Do you remember the basis of the separation? He's going to separate the sheep and the goats. And he says, I'm going to separate them based on what? Whether or not you gave me something to eat and something to drink and something to wear. And he said, wait a second, Lord, when did we ever give you something to eat or something to drink or something to wear, right? When did, when did we ever see you naked and give you some, some clothes? Or when did we ever see you thirsty and give you a drink? When did we ever see you hungry? And Jesus says, I tell you, whatever you did to the least of these, you've done unto me. You've done unto me. And then he looks at that other group and he says, and you didn't do any of that to the least of these. Sorry. Okay? What is that, what is that teaching us? The things that last, friends are the love and the compassion that we pour out on the least of these, the hurting, the people of this world that we see. The, the, the lasting things 
are the things of service that we give to the king. It's what they are. It's love and kindness for others. It's what they are. Those are the things. That's how we invest eternally, okay? You should think about that. Maybe you're here and you're not a very loving and kind person. That should speak to you a bit. (laughs) If that's what it means to invest eternally, and you can be a little hard-hearted, maybe you need to start praying about your heart, right? Okay, if you can be a little stingy, you need to start praying about that. Okay, Lord, hold on, wait a second. Okay, it's a big deal. Number three. Talking about being a faithful witness for Christ. We're talking about investing in heaven. We're talking about being a faithful witness for Christ. Matthew 28, 18. All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Therefore, I say to you, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Great Commission, right? Acts 1, 8. And the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What is the purpose of our current existence? To know God and to make God known. That's why you're here. To know God and to make God known. That's it. And so when we talk about investing in heaven, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about our witness for Christ. Hear me. Every time you're willing to get out of your comfort zone and have one of those difficult spiritual conversations, you're investing in heaven. And I believe with all my heart that one day when we're there, we're we're, we're literally going to meet people and they're going to say things like, don't you remember me? I'll be like, "Uh, no, I do not. Remember, you had that conversation with me in that park in Laredo. And I didn't pray to receive Christ, but you talked to me about Jesus in such a way that nobody ever had. And it forced me to go home. And I thought about that conversation for years. It haunted me at night until finally one day I had to get on my face before the Lord and say, God, I'm done. I surrender. I'm yours. I believe with all my heart that's going to happen when we're willing to have those conversations. And and listen, it's not, friends, it's not about seeing conversion right there. It's not always about getting to pluck the fruit off the tree. It's about sowing the seeds for Jesus. It's just about taking the good news and being the gospel witness that he calls us to be. And as we go out in the world and we're willing to have those spiritual conversations, I want you to know that those spiritual conversations are storing up for us treasures in heaven. Everlasting things that we couldn't even think or imagine. I think one day we'll be blown away at the people that we get to meet. And the way that God used us. We'll look back and say, glory to God. Glory to God, alright? Lastly, that's a number four. It was like 12 o'clock at night last night, okay? Cut me some slack. Alright, number four. The way that we use our time and money. The way that we use our time and money. The way that we invest uh, our time and money, guys. That, that's, that's everlasting. That's heavenly treasure. The way that we invest our time and money. I like to think of it this way when we talk about uh, you know, our, ourselves and the church and the way that God should use us. Time, energy, and effort. Those are three really important words. Time, energy, and effort. And I would simply ask, how do you use yours? How do you use your time, your energy, and your effort? Do you use it on yourself? Right? When an opportunity comes your way... Do you say, right, well, I'm too busy for that opportunity? When, when kingdom opportunity comes your way, do you say, I'm, I'm just too busy, I, I can't do it? Uh, or do you say, I, I am busy, but it's a kingdom opportunity, and God only brings me kingdom opportunities when he wants me to take the kingdom opportunities, and, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that opportunity, and I'll, I'll make the rest happen when the rest happens. You follow me? It, it's investing in... in in eternity, I want to tell you guys, it's tough. 
I want to tell you, it's tough. People, people look at pastors and say, well, these guys, they, they work for Jesus. So, I mean, they, you know, of course they can. No, it's tough. It's, it's not something that comes naturally for anybody. Um, for my wife and I, not long ago, and I, I can't even put my finger on exactly when it happened. You'd think it was when we were called in the ministry. But that's not always the case. When you're called in the ministry, yes, you're giving your life to Jesus. Say, I will serve you, God. I will go wherever you want to go, as long as it's comfortable. Okay, that's how you start out in ministry, by the way. It's usually like, yeah, I want to do it. Wait a second, you want me to move where? No, Lord. Okay, and then, and then so, so I, I, we can look back in progression. And so for five years, we stayed with family. Uh, we started serving Jesus, right? And then God says, okay, you're going up basically in the very tip of Texas where it's not really Texas anymore. It's kind of like Alaska. Go there. And so you went there, right? And, uh, dude, the panhandle is really weird. Okay, so you go up in the panhandle, you spend five years there. And they're like, okay, Lord, no, no more youth ministry. And we're like, yeah, we're going to go plant a church. And he laughs and ha, 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 ha. And so, you, you know, but at some point in our marriage, this is what happened. God just convicted me, and basically our commitment is this. If God presents us with a kingdom opportunity, we're going to take it. I know that sounds crazy to you, but if he presents us, presents us with a kingdom opportunity, we're going to take it. And so uh, when my wife has an opportunity to go to China, for instance, and the Lord puts it on her heart, she says, Honey, I really feel like I'm, I'm supposed to go to China, but you're a full-time pastor, and we have you know three, four kids now in the house. What do we do? Just like, hey, you go, and we'll make it work. I mean, I, we live in the day and age of technology. I can, like, meet with people on my computer, on the couch, while the kids scream. We can do that today. Like, we couldn't do that before. We're going to do that. We're just going to say yes, God. Whenever you, whenever you present an opportunity, God, we're going to say yes. And we're going to trust you to close the door if it's not from you. It, it, it's just, well, why? Because that's what, that's what the focus is, and that's what we're going to invest in. So, so, guys, that's what we're talking about. Your time, your energy, and your efforts. The way that you use your time and your money, that's investing in in the kingdom, uh, we got to wrap this up. So the principles, okay? Let me give these to you real quick. Number one, principle one here: heavenly treasure. Heavenly treasure is when our temporal activities have eternal consequences. It's the stuff that we do every day, the stuff that you wouldn't think twice about. This is heavenly treasure when that stuff has eternal consequence. That's heavenly treasure. And, and, and guys, I'm here to tell you that is every day. There's an opportunity to store up heavenly treasure every single day. Every single day. Because so much of what we do is temporary. And so if you look and say, hey, you know what? Today is temporary. Today is a vapor. How can I spend today's vapor for the kingdom? Oh my gosh, it changes everything. It changes everything. So that's what we think about, okay? Principle number two. Heavenly treasure is invulnerable and it's incorruptible. I don't know about you, but if you looked at the first principle we studied from the first verse and you put it next to this one, and those were my two options for a bank. <laughs> See, am I going to store my money in the bank where it can be broken into and it can be stolen and where it's temporary? <laughs> am I going to store it in the bank where it's everlasting, it's invulnerable, and it's incorruptible, friends? It's not a hard choice. It's not a hard choice. At least it shouldn't be. At least it shouldn't be. All right? Verse 20. 21. Verse 21, Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And what is that saying? Two principles and we're done. Number one, number one, what it's saying is that we move toward whatever we fix our eyes on. We move towards whatever we fix our eyes on. I want to ask you to, to do an experiment for me at some point today or sometime this week. Uh, I want you to go out into a, a, a kind of an open area or open field. You can do it in a parking lot, wherever you want to. And what you do, and, and here's step one, uh, you are going to look down 
at right, right at your feet, and you're going to try to walk a straight line. You try to walk a straight path, and you look at your feet, and do it for a while, and you walk a straight path, and you're walking uh, with your feet down, and you just stare at your feet, and you try to walk straight. And I'll tell you what's going to happen. Uh, when it's all said and done, it's even easier, like if, if there's ever snow, or like if the ground's muddy, because then you can see your footprint, like, you know, do on the ground. You're going to look back, and you're going to see you didn't do a very good job. But you do the same thing. Instead, you get out in the field. And you fix your eyes and you pick like a tree or a pole or something off in the distance. When you fix your eyes on that pole and you start walking towards it, guess what? When it's all said and done, you look back and you kept a straight path. Okay, that's what you did. I think that's why the author of Hebrews says that we're to fix our eyes on the, uh, on the perfecter of our faith, right? Uh, that's Hebrews 12.2. Hebrews 12.2. It says that we're to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so, so we'll start there when we talk about... Uh, this, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We move towards whatever our eyes, uh, we fix our eyes on. Number two, I want you to see that we live for whatever we long for. We live for whatever we long for. And that's what Jesus is saying. He, he's saying, listen, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. Where, where, whatever you treasure is what your passion will, will be about. Where, whatever you treasure is what you will pour yourself into, your time and your energy and effort. Whatever you treasure is what you'll live for. Whatever you long for is what you will live for. And so the question just becomes simply, what do we long for? What do we long for? Because if we're longing for Jesus, we're longing for heaven. That's what we're going to live for. I guarantee it, okay? So let me give you some things to do and we'll be done. Uh, just three things. Number one, uh, first and foremost, you've got to choose your kingdom. Just got to choose it. Which kingdom are you going to live for? Are you going to live for the kingdom of Jesus or the kingdom of you? That's it. There's only two, by the way. So, so it, it's either about storing up in the kingdom of Jesus and living for him and, and giving him all the glory and the credit, or it's about uh, storing up your own personal checking account down here. And we, we get to choose which one we want to live for, okay? Which, which kingdom are you living for, his or yours? Number two, invest wisely. Invest wisely, okay? There's, there's eternal and there's the temporal. You, you, you've heard all about them. You, you know what happens. You know one is corruptible, one's incorruptible. You know one is, is safe and the other gets broken into. I mean, you, now, now it's up to you. You have to invest wisely. We've talked about what it means. We've talked about what it doesn't mean. So you've got to invest wisely, okay? You've got to choose to do that. And then finally, uh, I would simply give this to you, friends. Number three, as you do these things, I would challenge you to never take your eyes off the prize. We have a tendency to do just that. We live in a world that is, uh, is starving for our attention. And, and that is because there is a prince of this world that wants to do anything that he can to take our eyes off of Jesus. He wants to do anything that he can. Have you ever noticed that sin is never subtle, is it? It's never subtle. Sin is Las Vegas, friends. Sin is the flashing lights. Look at me. Here I am. Check me out. Detour, detour, detour. It's always flashing and loud and looks good. And it's a trap. I mean, we're like a gnat drawn toward it, right? I mean, we, we have spiritual ADD and we walk around in the world and we wonder, well, I wonder what happened. I'll tell you what happened. If you're not focused in the word, if you're not praying to him daily, if, if, if you're not longing for him and you're not longing for heaven, then what's going to happen is as you drive along, all that stuff's going to flash and get your attention. And before you know it, your life is done. And when you look back over it, instead of one solid pursuit, you just had a bunch of these little offshoots and you wonder, why was I in a 
uh, ineffective? Why was I so unproductive for the kingdom of God? Because the enemy, I constantly let him draw me off. I constantly let him get my attention. What does that mean? It means I didn't fix my eyes on Jesus. One of the coolest stories in the Bible, I think, is when Peter gets out of the boat and starts walking on water. He's the only person other than Jesus that has ever walked on water. And we don't know how many steps he took, but, dude, one would have been enough for me. You know what I'm saying? One step on top of water with wind and waves around it. One time, you get out of the boat and boom. What? I should be sinking right now. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. Just one. I mean, I would have been dancing some kind of water jig. You know what I'm saying? What? Look at me. You're in the boat. I'm out here. You know, just, I mean, getting down, doing the water jig. But you know what? What did the enemy do? What did the enemy do? Oh, Peter, do you feel that wind? Oh, Peter, that mist in your face. Oh, it's salty, Peter. You're going to sink. You better look. It's a storm, Peter. What are you doing? It's just enough. The flashing lights were just enough to make him take his eyes off of the author and perfecter of his faith and to think about a circumstance and he sank like a rock. Same thing happens with us. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Live for him. Long for him where your treasure is. That's where your heart will be. Invest wisely in the kingdom of God. And I promise you this, you will never, ever, ever regret a moment. You guys pray with me.